Hello, and welcome to Higher Voltage, a podcast about higher education that explores what's working, what's not, and what needs to change in higher ed marketing and administration. I'm your host, Kevin Tyler. I am so excited to chat with these two folks today. I, welcome to our first uh, blue and gold episode, I suppose. It's uh, WVU, UCLA, and University of Michigan all in one podcast. So we have Tony Dobies, uh, Senior Director of Marketing at West Virginia University, uh, also Nikki Sundstrom, Director of Social Media and Public Engagement at the University of Michigan. Thank you so much for joining us on Higher Voltage today. I'm super excited to talk to you about your social uh, practices at your uh, respective universities. But before we get into that, can we get a brief uh, kind of background on who you are, how you got to your role? And uh, we'll start with Tony. Yeah, sure. Um, well, thanks for the invite. Happy to be here and happy to be with Nikki as well. Um, so my my background has been pretty much at, at WVU um, for the last 10 years, um, as of August 1st, actually 10 years at the university. So um, went to WVU. Um, I, I had planned a career in sports writing, did that for a little bit and realized that, like that that's a different type of grind that I just wasn't prepared to do for the rest of my life. So I went into this field, which is just as hard. <laughs> um, started as a, a writer and a communication specialist at, at WVU. Um, eventually realized that my passion kind of um, uh, lies with, with social and um, started to manage a couple of accounts. I actually went to uh, a conference uh, my boss allowed me to, to go to at the time. Um, I think that's probably in 2012, 2013, and came back and realized like, oh, there are other people who um, want to be social media managers at, at universities and like, cool, that's a real job. Um, so that I that turned into the job that I had, um, and became a social media strategist, uh, director of social media, um, and now I'm senior director of marketing at the university. So I don't um, manage on a day-to-day -day basis social media accounts anymore, but I oversee our team that does. And um, the, the great thing about that is that I have the ability to create the team that we need to do the job and do it well here at WVU. So, um, I'm so thankful to to have the opportunity to do that because I think we, what we've got set up here at WVU is is really good. So it's a little bit about me. Awesome. Thank you so much, Tony. Nikki, you're up. All right. Well, thank you. Um, thanks for having me and congratulations, Tony, on your full decade in higher education. That's quite an <laughs> accomplishment. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Totally. Congratulations. So I'm coming up on... Ooh, almost eight years. I'm a little bit behind you in higher ed, uh, but got my start. Actually, my background's in policy and legislative affairs. Um, social media was just one of the advocacy tools that I started to use way back when um, and really try to teach elected officials across the state in the state of Michigan, which is where I was employed um, to leverage for government transparency and constituent engagement. And then it sort of snowballed and became my full-time job. So between policy and legislative affairs and constituent engagement and then going back to graduate school for education we started doing a lot of teaching of these tools and designed the entire statewide digital footprint um, for the state of Michigan before U of M came knocking on my door and asked me to come down here to Ann Arbor and do the same for them. So in addition to setting policy and establishing guidelines um, and getting to oversee a, a really phenomenal team like Tony that creates content on a daily basis. Um, three years ago, we also added the president's public engagement and impact initiative to my title. So I also have the opportunity to elevate the research as you know the number one public research institution. Um, U of M has an excellent opportunity to really align with the state of Michigan, with our national audience and with our global audience, what it is that's taking place here in labs and classrooms, and then help educate people that, you know, don't even grace the doors of our classrooms with knowledge and resources that can help them make informed decisions. So that's how I spend each and every one of my days. Let's take a quick break to talk about our sponsor. Higher Voltage is brought to you by Squiz. University websites are filled with great information. But oftentimes, a simple internal site search does not give users the information they're looking for. Funnelback, a site search product by Squiz, changes the way people engage with content by revolutionizing search. It delivers relevant and comprehensive search results for users, which is key for business objectives. Visit squiz.net, that's S-Q-U-I-Z.net, 
to see how Funnelback by Squiz can create a smarter site search option for your institution's website today. I am very excited to talk to you both because um, I stumbled upon your accounts a number of years ago when I worked at a small agency in Columbus, Ohio. And the content that you both pump out um, is really compelling and very, very exciting. And uh, granted, you're both at large public universities and mm -hmm. uh, I'm guessing that there's uh, somewhat of a team there. I'm curious if you could just start with uh, kind of going over from a high level what your structure is for the social media team and then what your vision is for the work that you do for the brands you represent. Sure. I'll go first. Um, so when I first arrived at U of M, it was the director level role and a full-time content manager. And at that time, we had two delightful, very capable and talented student interns. And I think that's how likely a lot of people started, right? We were lucky even to have two full-time staff. Um, I now oversee a team of 12. And so that team has really been bought or built out in order to accommodate the evolving needs of social media. Obviously, we went from having one person that could shoot and edit and take photographs. And then, you know, now we need an animator. We need someone that can design Giphy stickers. Um, we need way more student interns to ensure that we are adequately representing all of our target demographics and audience members um, and ideating in a way that moves so quickly that we can also address all of the frontline concerns as the front door of the institution. Um, and so we really divide and conquer through that um, arena and lens. A lot of my time is spent on risk mitigation and, you know, kind of crisis communications. It plays well into my background. And then some of my team is able to focus on creatively developing content and other is able to align the research with that. Um, so that's kind of how our structure works. In addition to the team that I oversee and manage, I've also built a network that I call social leadership across the institution as well as our satellite campuses. And so I have one primary communicator and decision maker within every individual school, college and organizational unit that I work with on a weekly and daily basis to ensure that we are adequately promoting content that represents the breadth of our academic research and impact and really pulling all of those things out from individual schools, colleges, and units um, because we do currently have over 1,200 active official social media properties here at the institution. <laughs> my gosh, 1,200? Yeah. Oh, yeah. my word. And I love that idea of having people kind of planted uh, across campus or across the footprint to have those mm -hmm. kinds of daily, weekly conversations. What a, that's a great, great call. How about you, Tony? <clears throat> yeah, so it, it's kind of similar. Um, I think maybe the, the structure of the team um, might be different at WVU, but the, the team size and things are, are very similar. So we have um, eight full-time uh, members of our our Morgantown campus uh, social media team. Um, two of those are dedicated to just our, our main accounts and the other six, um, they they do some main account work for us, but their pri primary role is, is more focused around some of the smaller, more focused accounts like safety, mm -hmm. wellness, transportation and parking, um, our health sciences accounts, our student life accounts, town and culture, which is our employee arm of the university. We have people dedicated to, to those um, and, and admissions as well. Um, so we've got that team. Um, we've got two branch campuses uh, at WVU, smaller campuses, and we have uh, social media managers at both of those, which sit on our larger social media team. Um, one of those reports to me full time, the other one's more of a, a dotted line, but, but works in the same way. Um, the idea really was to try to bring all of the social media managers who are full time um, under somebody who understood how to manage social media on a day-to-day -day basis. What had happened before was really, you know, we had somebody at our town and culture situation that was sitting over with, with them. Their boss had no idea what social media should look like there. And so when annual review time came around, they have no idea whether like, oh, did you hit your goals? Did you not? Are you doing the things that, that you're supposed to do? We have no idea. Um, and so we started to change um, the culture here to bring them within our, our university relations team. So that's kind of how we have that set up today. We've got three student workers um, as well who all work 20 hours a week. One is dedicated paid social. Um, the other two are more or organic focused um, and uh, we treat them like full time um, 
employees at the university. They sit in on our our staff meeting. They're involved in just about everything. Um, so by the time they graduate, uh, they are ready to go for for the the business, and um, we try to keep some of them too if we can. Uh, <laughs> so and then when it comes to our team, we have um, you know not all of them are are the same. They're not. You know, we have some who are strategists, some who are content developers, some who are really good at keeping us on track with our content calendar and those types of things. Everybody kind of has their their focus and um, really makes the team well-rounded, makes us, you know, better moving forward. And then that team is part of our larger marketing team, which I oversee, which includes advertising, marketing strategy, um, the enrollment strategy as well. So we try to make sure that everything we do in social, it gets to all of the right places and that we're doing it in a, in a strategic way. So that's kind of how we're set up here at, at WVU. Thank you both for going over that. I think, um, especially in higher ed, there can be so many different variations of a social team. Uh, for instance, in at UCLA, we had, I think have a team of about four, but all of the communications folks who are embedded in each school have social media responsibilities as well, right? And so I just wanted to get a kind of a idea of how you guys were set up so that the conversation that we have for people who might have similar teams, but I have questions about in here about, um, you know, tips for smaller teams, et cetera. Uh, that's good, good background. I'm curious, uh, I guess, I mean, the elephant in the room uh, is uh, how did or has COVID changed the way you do business at your respective institutions? I think, you know, I, I guess just I'll start out and say that it has made the job so much harder. I think the job of a social media manager is already tough, um, even with a, a larger team like Nikki and I have. I, I think the job has always been hard. This last year and a half has been so much harder though. Um, I can say at least for, for us at WVU, we have focused much more on the customer service side of things um, than we have in the past. We had tended in, in previous years to really be organic content focused, trying to put out you know what's best for the brand. And while we're still doing that, we're doing it with a little bit more of a customer service focus, trying to um, not only push what what we want to uh, as a brand on our accounts, but taking care of our communities, listening to the audiences, those types of things. Um, I think we're much more aligned with the institution as a whole because of all of the crisis situations that we've dealt with too. So, um, you know, our, our social team is, is in cell phones of every other leader on our campus. And when something pops up, you know, they have a direct route to, to get information and those types of things. We've always been nimble, but I think we've had to be even more nimble and um, probably more empathetic, even when it's really, really hard not to be when you just want to like turn off and, you know, call a, a complaint, you know, not worth listening to. We've had to step back from that and stay empathetic and understanding. Um, and I think just um, everybody is just a little bit more tired. I don't think that's just social media <laughs> managers. I think that's everybody. Uh, I would agree with and, you. And, and last thing I'll say is that we have maybe more than anything realized um, what is truly most important to put on our social accounts because we had to kind of stop doing some of those things that weren't uh, that we didn't have time to do anymore. And so we have really prioritized what are our goals? How do we reach those at the same time managing all of the other crisis situations and, and things that pop up on a day-to-day -day basis that we can't expect? Yeah, I uh, I appreciate you saying all of that. I, one of the things that I, I mean, obviously COVID in this period that we're in is uh, traumatic. Uh, there's been lots of tragedy. However, in terms of social media, it does feel like, especially in terms of uh, in the higher ed space, it has been elevated to a, a more substantive place in the marketing plans and communication plans of so many institutions because it was one of the only ways that remote students could have access to what was going on, quote unquote, on campus. And so all of that said, I am happy about social media moving from, oh, just give it to an intern to handle to we need to make this a cabinet level kind of conversation uh, because of the the material that we need to to get out to our, our constituents and stakeholders. Uh, Nikki, how has uh, this changed your work, uh, if at all? Yeah, I'm actually going to take the opportunity to kind of to 
to pivot on this response because I would absolutely echo everything that Tony has said um, and focus instead on what it has done to our industry. Because to your point, Kevin, um, it has elevated something that I I worked very tirelessly on pre-pandemic, which was the absolute critical importance of a social media team of actually allocating proper resources. And the pandemic has gutted our industry. We are watching people leave in droves. My team impacted and included because, you know, for units that are not as blessed um, to lead with strategy as, as Tony and I have really screamed from the rooftops to do for years and years and, and find people and resources and, and create content and not sleep for a very long time um, for teams of one teams of two or people that are still within organizations where their work is undervalued and misunderstood, they're, they're done. Yeah. We absolutely cannot blame them. And so this, this is absolutely a reckoning, I think, for communications and marketing across the board. Um, I think that post-pandemic, if that's what we want to call a lot of the returns to offices that are about to happen, um, we really need to look at the well-being of our staff and employees first and we need to prioritize what it is that we're going to do we need to collaborate and communicate more clearly and you know it's always ironic that sometimes communications professionals are some of the worst communicators i've ever encountered when it comes to internal sort of organization but you know that's that's how covid has changed everything i mean it's pulled the rug out from a lot of us it has opened you know the curtains and revealed a lot of our flaws and we absolutely cannot go back to what would have been you know old normal because it wasn't good enough then and it will not be good enough moving forward whether it's for your own staff or the communities that you are trying to reach out to and i, I would just want to add to that too like I, nikki is so right and I, I think what i'm most nervous about for our industry is that we now have people kevin to your point that understand that yes social is something that's important and valuable based on everything that we learned but they aren't taking the steps to add another full-time person or check in on them more often and make sure that they understand what the duties are actually of a social media manager. Those steps need to happen. We're, we're even seeing people who, who now are saying like, hey, I am not making enough money for the job that I have. And we weren't seeing that a year and a half ago. We are now because the job is harder. People need to take all of that into account and we need to change as an industry. It's not good enough to just say, hey, social is important. It's we need to take the step and say our social teams are important. They're valued. We need to take care of them. We need to understand them. We need to advance the field. Right. So, yeah, agree. Our, our team, I'll, I'll add a statistic in here for you, Kevin, just to Please. really yeah. nail the coffin on this one. Um, our team triaged over seven, 70,000 comments last year. And, you know, I joked pre-pandemic that I'd been called every name under the sun online, um, but I really, truly have at this point. And there's only so much that we can take and nobody signs up for that portion of the job because as those individuals that are triaging those concerns valid concerns of our community but struggle to even be the decision maker you know it's it's always been cute when you ask me for a free t-shirt but it is not okay when you tell me that i'm putting your child's life at risk because i I tweeted out the new mass mandate, right? And and we've read those things so many times and tried, you know, under the best circumstances, we were very, very fortunate to already have phenomenal working relationships with marketing, with public relations, with public affairs, um, better off, I think, than probably most. And it is still something that is toxic within, I mean, the platforms are toxic to begin with, but the toxicity seeps into our staff and retention is really difficult and it makes it even harder when you can't blame people for wanting to create a better work-life balance. And, and that COVID did that to us. I, I couldn't agree with uh, you both uh, more. I think, I think it's really easy for 
people to forget that there are people behind the brand avatar, right? There are people back there who are responding to every comment or in that social media never closes, right? Like it's not, there aren't like opening hours for Twitter, right? <laughs> it is always open and running. And so for the people who manage these accounts, they're absorbing a ton of different kinds of emotions because of the work that they do. And, and I and I agree with all of you, or I agree with all of your points about the protection and care of mental health and um, work-life balance, et cetera, because this is not going to get any easier at all. I'm really curious how each of you handle kind of PR crises that surface uh, on campus and either, you know, bleed onto your feeds or vice versa, et cetera. I'll start. Um, <laughs> there's a crisis every day. What, like, what's today's crisis? So I am very fortunate, as I mentioned previously, um, our assistant director of public affairs likes to say, oftentimes she texts me more than her husband. Um, you know, having a background in constituent relations and, and state engagement, very aware of, you know, everyone turning to social first, not just to celebrate, but to voice their, their concerns. And then also be critical of decisions that are being made. And so, um, you know, all crises seem to break in social. And if we can proactively break our own news, which is what I'm always encouraging people to do, we have a better chance than hurting the cats of misinformation after they've already sort of been released. Um, and so we truly do serve my whole entire team in partnership with public affairs as the day-to-day -day risk mitigation um, and brand watch unit. Um, it's a large portion of, of what we're doing. And then my team also coordinates the reportings and analytics through our tools that we have available to us to say, you know, here's what the saturation of this conversation actually is in relationship to our brand, and then creates that content on the back end, right? That says, okay, what's the official word? How are we going to make that visual? Who are we going to pull into a video? Are we going to do a live town hall? You know, what kind of triage aspects and elements do we need to work in? And then executes kind of that plan in coordination with the rest of our, our vice president of communications office to make sure that those things go out in a very quick and, and timely manner. Um, I'm constantly the person that's like, nope, it's, it needed to be out five seconds ago. So like, where where is that? Um, or, you know, maybe... <laughs> maybe pushes send before that link is live because somebody's already talking about it on the internet and it'll get there eventually. But we all know the pace at which it moves. And so with social in particular, like handling PR in crisis, like you've got to get to it as, as quick as possible and then try to anticipate any needs if at if all possible. Sure, sure, sure. How about WVU, yeah. Tony? Yeah, our setup is is really similar um, in in a lot of ways, and so I'll just add a couple of things. I I think there's so much pressure that people don't know about on a social media manager to make the right gut call in almost all of these situations. To make the gut call when you see a post that has the potential to be bad, but it's not there yet, so you have to make the call like, hey, do I send this up the chain, or do I wait? until I start to see the retweets coming in or the comments start to fly. When do you do that? You know, when do you start to scare people above you that there's a, um, a crisis that started on social and keep an eye on it? And so I think a lot of that is um, such a skill that is learned over time and is why it's so important that we don't have this huge um, turnover in, in our industry of social media managers because it takes a long time to get that down. Um, and so, yeah, our, our situation is, is very similar to, um, to what Nikki was talking about. We've got our social media managers that are, are monitoring um, and looking at um, the, the uh, the accounts and looking at the WVU tags and everything else that we have available to us. Um, and when something starts to, I would say, blow up or it has the potential to, they'll send it to me um, and I'll kind of give that, you know, help with the gut check. Um, and usually it can stop at me, but if I start to see like, hey, okay, I'll, I might respond to them and say, when it gets to this point, has this many retweets or this many likes, or you start to feel uncomfortable about it, let me know and I'll pass it along and we'll figure out what's next. Um, sometimes there might, it, it might just be a lot of times. It's just 
hey, let's keep an eye on it. There's really nothing we can say. But other times, you know, part of our role is to be helpful. If there's an issue that we can help solve and that can eliminate somebody having to call an office or yeah. complain and call the president's office, if we can alleviate that by our team, that's what we want to do. And so, you know, a lot of it is just kind of taking a look at what um, that situation, making a gut call, reacting, how we know to react and, and how we've done in the past. Excellent. Excellent. The second kind of part of this question is, is about cultural conversations that are happening. And I can't obviously help but think about things like George Floyd and uh, all the other cultural conversations that have taken place in the last several years. How do you determine uh, if and how your brand participates in a trending cultural conversation? And how do you know or ensure that it's done uh, correctly? I, I can start with this one. Again, this is a, a, a one that I'm so glad that we have a team at WVU to help with. So it's not just on one person to make a call of what to do. Um, and so in those moments, that's when we have brought our team together and talked about you know, how do we do this right before it goes into a much higher level conversation. Um, I think with a lot of the issues of social unrest in the country over the last year, the reaction that the university has made started with the social team having a conversation of what should we do? Because we are the eyes and ears of our audiences and the platforms and what people are saying. And so if they're clamoring for us to make a statement, doesn't necessarily mean that we have to, but it gives us a starting point to have a conversation about whether we should or not and whether it's the right thing to do. And again, that's another one of those situations that's kind of a, a gut call. And um, one of the things that I really like to say um, that we are very conscious of saying in these moments is just because one school does something a certain way does not mean that we have to follow it up because they're right around the corner or they're within the state or they're an hour up the, the road from us um, and we play football against them or something like that. Doesn't mean we have to respond that same way, but we do need to take care of our people. And we need to show, again, empathy and understanding for everybody involved. And at that point, you raise it up to, to another level. And I think that's when politics gets involved. Um, I like to keep our social team outside of the politics and as much as possible um, and sometimes easier said than done. But, you know, we respond with what we think is best and then decisions are made and we do what we can. All right. All right. Amen. Um, you know, this is what this is one of the spaces where I think um, institutions prioritizing a senior level strategic communicator within the social space really makes all the difference. You know, if you are a part of an organization where you don't have that seat at the table, it can be extremely challenging. And I've seen, you know, these things go terribly badly. I always look at it from the context of what our audience needs are and whether or not it's it's in our swim lane or for establishing new precedents. And so, you know, sometimes new precedent needs to be set and we need to speak out. Other times when you are aware of perhaps, you know, blind spots within your organization, speaking out on an issue of societal unrest, you know, it's kind of like tend to your own backyard first. Um, you know, you, you create these potential issues for yourself where then they're going to flip that narrative on you very quickly. So being well-intentioned and trying to be receptive to timely conversations that are happening if you don't put all of those strategy pieces in alignment first, we watch them blow up in organizations' faces all of the time. For us, we really try to make sure that, as Tony mentioned, we're bringing the right people to the table to say, hey, what, what do we think that we should do? And then how can we get the right people to either lead in that space. Um, oftentimes, we have um, sort of strategically set up a public affairs Twitter account to use that platform, for example, where, you know, perhaps it's not going to be right for the brand, but something needs to be said. And so we'll allow public affairs to lead. I have worked very closely with our, our president since he um, was announced the third week on the job for me. Um, our 10 years are very much in tandem. And so oftentimes, I'll, I'll pitch something to him and say, listen, I think 
maybe it's it's this one and then my boss and his executive speech you know writer and we'll kind of sit there and triage and see who's the right executive leader to speak up on an issue um, we want to make it relatable but we also want to make it authentic because if it is not right you're creating a bigger issue for yourself um, there are times that we have spoken out and been absolutely right to do so and it has not been well received. And I think everybody's going to encounter that. And there are other times where we've made the difficult decision to not speak out because it didn't feel like it was going to be authentic. And then, you know, people didn't like that either. Um, which is one of the things in talking about PR and crisis in our industry, I think the becoming jaded to the concerns of our, our communities and the volume of concerns when everything has been a crisis for 18 months, or at least appeared to be one uh, to varying degrees is, is certainly something that you also have to take into account. Um, and that's where metrics and, and brand sort of tools become really valuable because everybody that doesn't work in social every day is like, oh, this has gone viral. I'm like, it has 12 retweets. I have no idea what you're talking about. Um, <laughs> let me go ahead and engage that next to the other thing. Um, or, you know, this this was favorited by a, a reputable news organization and they even retweeted it. And then you have to explain algorithms to people and the fact that nobody actually saw it. Um, but, you know, that's where that technical expertise and then your strategic sort of knowledge really come into play. I really appreciate you uh, speaking about that part specifically because I think that it's often forgotten how um, social media is an extension of your brand, right? And so mm -hmm. having, uh, being told, you know, put this on social and it's a statement about, you know, who we are as an institution. And if that is not an actual reality, what, what that message is saying, then there are all types of other questions to be asked, right? And so I think about these social media accounts that pop up around like black at the IVs and black at yeah. whatever X school and what that means to the messaging that a school is pumping out, the approved kind of marketing messaging and having these kinds of accounts kind of fly in the face of, of all of that when there's a diversity statement and you know black and brown students are like, well, wait a minute, we've been having problems with this for years and now here you are making statements. And so I, I mentioned that to say that the two of you create content that is obviously held up and is uh, supported by the philosophy of the institution and your values and what you stand for. But so often these things are just kind of thrown out into a, onto a platform to be performative and there isn't any sort of thought or work put into the actual reality or the experience that students have on a campus. And so I just wanted to say that out loud because I, I know that your content is thoughtful in those ways. Um, and I initially want to say that, put it on a table for other uh, folks who might be listening that just putting it out does not make it reality you have to like look at your campus and say have we earned the right to make this statement and you make an excellent point kevin and i'll, I'll explain a double-edged sword that i've recently encountered in hiring potential inner our intern candidates for the fall you know there are many of us that for decades have focused our careers on creating more diverse and inclusive content because we're from a different generation and we prioritize that, whether it, you know, be pronoun conversations or, you know, race or religion. It's been a huge emphasis in, in work in the communications and marketing that I've done throughout my career. However, that is, as I would refer to as aspirational diversity. I want every single person that looks at our social content to be able to see themselves reflected in the content that we're putting forth, to know that they are welcome here and that they can achieve this, you know, leaders and best University of Michigan dream. But we also are potentially setting up a false expectation that when they arrive here, the campus will be as picturesque and diverse and inclusive as you know we've portrayed it to be online and that you know conversation i i recently just had and i thought to myself in reflection afterwards wow our feeds do look great and we really go out of our way to make sure that the the equity and the representation is there but you know when somebody graces our doors in september are they going to go wait on instagram looked way right. better than this because that's the way we should be and so it's a struggle because we should still be working to be the best that we can be but we also have to have that reality to check to continuously ask ourselves are we actually trying to be the best that we can be yeah yeah and i think having you know just having a conversation like that is a good place to start aspirational versus you know what reality is and 
where is that sweet spot in the middle? Um, and, and at what times does it make sense for you know social accounts to be aspirational versus realistic mm-hmm. so that a student doesn't walk in on, on day one and be like, this is not what was sold to me and I don't have a place here. And that is the thing that scares me most as a marketer is that a student, especially you know at, at WVU where pretty much everything we do is enrollment focused, if a student is sold something, knowing that higher ed is so expensive, and that's the first thing that somebody will tell you, they come to campus and they don't get what we sold them. That is painful because we we control the message, right? We don't necessarily control the experience that happens when they get there. So we need to be as tuned in as possible to campus so that we're selling the right thing. And and that is that's part of the job. I would like to kind of touch on your uh, process for content creation. Obviously, you both have, to me, large teams. I am at UCLA School of Nursing kind of chilling on my own in terms of uh, team size. It's just a team of one. And so I'm just kind of curious around uh, what you do to make the, the quality content that you make. I love it. I love what you do. Thank you. Um, so I'll start, um, with a couple of of different things. So first and foremost, um, we work off something that I call a thematic calendar, um, which really outlines areas of emphasis that align with both our brand pillars and our organizational goals and objectives. So on a given Wednesday, you're likely going to see content coming from the university accounts that focuses within the health industry. We have a world-renowned hospital here that does an array of different things. Obviously, we have a world-class public health organization, um, but also, you know, there are things like kinesiology and, you know, our athletics programs and all of these different aspects of potentially mental health or something. And those are things that we want to make sure that Every week, we're really kind of focusing on. And so we work with the stakeholders within those units. We pull forward whatever is the most timely and relevant thing. And we build those foundational content pieces throughout the course of the week so that then the rest of our days, of course, are spent on pulling forward things that might be new or breaking or a crisis that we're looking to address or new public health guidance that we're looking to go out. Um, And so some of my team is allocated to those various units right? And really building those relationships with the School of Education or the School of Social Work and creating timely little mini series of of content that then we'll place throughout those areas. In other spaces, right, I've got a team member that is really looking towards admission content and prospective student and existing student life content. You know, how are we making that fun? What, you know, new Giphy sticker pack that shows accessibility and inclusivity um, is going out that week. Um, Our audiovisual person is constantly figuring out our weekly vlogs or our weekly Instagram lives or, you know, our commencement video content for the week. It's very much a dividing kind of like conquer with areas of emphasis that then pull them in so that we're creating on a daily basis, um, but at least kind of have a knowledge base of where we're headed and in what direction each day. I just got goosebumps of envy listening to you say that. Oh my <laughs> gosh, that sounds incredible. And, I've got and a this- massive operation over here. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you do. Okay. Um, Tony, What's your process look like for content creation? Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm so glad that as as Nikki is talking, I'm sitting over here and being like, we're you know we're states away and we're at different institutions, but we do things so similarly, maybe, differently in structure maybe, but the ideas are very similar. So um, at, at WVU, we have content buckets that focus our especially our organic content. So um, with each of our accounts that we run, we sit down as as kind of a step one and talk through what are the goals and what are the available um, pieces of content, resources, um, events, things that come up as part of those accounts that that are possibilities. So we develop, you know, mo- most of our accounts have between three and five different content buckets. Uh, for our main accounts, we have um, brand awareness, academics and research, and student life and experiences. Those are our three buckets. Everything, every piece of content fits within those. And as we've gone out and and done this, we kind of create an idea every month. 
how many posts on Instagram of brand awareness should we have versus academics and research versus student life and experience. So we're getting the right types of content out on our accounts um, and, and just giving a little bit of a structure to the team so they don't have to come in every day thinking, what do I need to do? They know, you know, looking at uh, the month ahead, oh, hey, we're going to be really light on academics and research. So let's go proactively reach out to some of our researchers who are doing things around COVID. Let's go get some content around that to show like, hey, at WVU, we have premier healthcare experts who are helping the state with COVID-19 and getting past this. And we want to show them on our account. So that's kind of how we structure um, content. And after that, it's really free flowing. Like, I, I want our team to come up with a good idea, pitch it and really think about the why. You know, why is it a good idea and why does it meet the goals? If I sit down with them and, and you know, they, they have a good plan and it meets, meets a goal or two, we'll make it happen. And to me, this is our bread and butter. We have team members, not just on our social team, but across our university relations unit that can create video and photo and graphics and animations and stuff like that. So for us at that point, it's more about, hey, I know it's going to make it on social and it's going to be great content. How do we take that and put that on our websites, in our recruitment materials, out on campus and other places, get the most use of it in kind of a social first way? Totally. Um, and and one thing that I, I really push in these moments when we're talking about content, we know what type of content is going to be most popular. I, I think what makes social media managers best is whenever they say, okay, we know what's going to get the likes and retweets and shares but what content makes the most sense for the university? It may not be the most popular thing or most viewed thing, but it's really going to advance us in a certain way. And to get past that mindset of thinking in likes and more around what's going to move our institution forward, that's a huge process that we have gone through in our content. And so in the past, we may have done way more around football, and basketball and sports, we still do that with an eye towards the student experience and not what happens on the field. But we do a whole lot more of, uh, of other things because that's what's going to make the institution better in our eyes. Oh my word. I came for a podcast, but what I got is a sermon. Both of you guys are preaching. This is so great. It's so true. Tony and I have been around a while. So, you know, but to Kevin, to that point, because we have been, and and I don't want to discount at all the blessings that have come from the hard work that we've had the opportunity to put in at outstanding organizations. Whenever I speak in these types of environments, I, I always worry about the individuals that are like, going to just assume that they can't do this because they don't have 12 people yet yep. or yep. you know they're they're not under the frame of, of marketing so i, I want to give a couple of examples of things that i've done that could be helpful at other places so if you don't have staff right for example um i have what i call like a dotted line relationship with a staff a member of the staff at our news agency our Department of Public Safety and Security, and within our Public Affairs Office. So those three individuals attend every single one of my Monday morning staff meetings. They also are asked to contribute weekly content that might align with conversations that are happening within their own, you know, sort of organizations. DPSS, our Department of Public Safety and Security, they're going to know if bike theft is up. I'm not going to know until somebody complains about it on the internet. And so having that person in my content meetings, they can say, hey, you know, we're going to create an Instagram story for you. And they have a designated spot every Saturday on our accounts where they can pull forward whatever it is. And we can work with them proactively to, you know, maybe talk to a sexual assault investigator because we've heard that there's an uptake in, in things that are happening across campus or concerns amongst our community. So we've built those relationships and those are things that you can do without having somebody report to you, without getting an FTE. Bring the people that have the content expertise to the table and open your door to them and ask them for their, their input. Um, additionally, I've made some creative staff hires through shared funding. So 
everybody knows that even getting a full-time social media person can be difficult if you are a smaller organizational unit. Um, so I have two staff members on my team that report to me and sit in my office, but are designed to support either five different stakeholders that are all initiative-based or five different stakeholders that are all schools and colleges. They create that content in alignment with our standards, best practice, and policies, but they also have the added opportunity to place that content and elevate it through the main channels because they have that direct line into my office. And so, you know, we're always happy to retweet, you know, a school or college that has something great, but we've created these shared staffing resources to kind of, you know, help us all out along the way, help content be optimized, help it be more creative, help them gauge the expertise and get the mentoring from my full team, but also provide a service to our smaller units that can't afford potentially their own person. Um, so if you are a team of one, right, rely on collaboration, ask people for help, even if they don't report to you and be creative. If you are trying to advocate for staffing, see if somebody else wants to share a role with you and then both of you come out a little better in the end. Yeah, Nikki, I, I feel I, I have the same concern every time that I speak at like a conference or a podcast like, like this where, you know, you say, oh, I've got a team of eight and they go, oh, well, <laughs> everything that she's about <laughs> to say is not relevant because I can't make it happen. And um, and I would say, Nikki, to your point, that's exactly what we have here. Five of my team members are fully funded by other units. And that was from relationships that I have built, cases that I've made to to those leaders that said, hey, a social position is important. They should be full time and they should report to me because I know what this job should be. Um, and that's how we've built our team. We've obviously, as a university, put more funding into it, but our unit itself we haven't put much more into it, which has been um, a good thing for us. And I, I would agree too, from from a, a team of one standpoint, the best social media managers that, that I've been around who are teams of one, they know just about everybody at the institution. They have mm -hmm. made good relationships. They know who to call in the right moments, even if it's subtle things like, hey, I'm gonna be out shooting photos and I need like this light turned on. Who do I call in facilities? You have a person for yeah. that. You know, it's it's those subtle things that make that social person so much. I have a list. For, uh, <laughs> love it. Love it, it just happened to be under my desk. <laughs> um, and and the other thing I would say too is the expectations for a one-person team are are great, but they should be very specific. And and I think that is you know working with that um, that supervisor and saying here is what I'm capable of doing. As a one-person team, this is what I'm able to do in a in a week, work week, or a work day. Um, and that 24/7 monitoring might not be a thing without some cross-training of somebody else, so that somebody can take a break or a vacation. And I think having having that conversation with a supervisor and and talking about realistic expectations and like, hey, as a one-person team, I probably don't have the ability to start a TikTok right now. And that supervisor needs to be clued in enough and empathetic enough to that person to say, okay, I know your focus should be elsewhere. And that's that's on the supervisor, not the social media manager to react in the right way in those situations. But I think that conversation can be initiated by the social media manager. Or allow them the opportunity to prioritize, right? So if they do want to emphasize vertical video, you, you may not have a Facebook page anymore. Right. Yep. You've got to really determine and make make those decisions and be realistic in your expectations. There is no way if I was a team of one that we would have been able to put out forty six hundred and ten pieces of content last year. Exactly. There's yep. just no way I wouldn't even have been able to run that report and tell you we put out four thousand six hundred and ten pieces of content. Mm -hmm, <laughs> I would have been too busy. Yeah, right. The investment that, that a, a brand, a high red brand makes into its social is an indication of where it, how it's valued, right? I, to me, at least. And so totally. if there is not enough resources, people, money, whatever it is, and the expectations need to align themselves with what the reality of the experience of doing that job is, right? Like you can't want to have presence on every platform and have posts every day if you aren't going to invest in the people who to make that happen. 
I have been on a soapbox lately about instances when higher ed brands or communicators inside of a higher ed brand look to other schools, look to other higher ed institution brands to see what they're doing to kind of replicate that. And I just, I'm challenged by that approach uh, because I firmly believe that uh, the folks who have the most compelling and higher ed appropriate messaging are outside of higher ed, right? The inspiration that I get comes from the TikTok brand, from the YouTube brand, from Instagram brand and commercials and advertising, et cetera. I'm curious about what inspires you because your content just feels different than most higher ed content often feels. Um, And so I just wanted to have that conversation just because it feels so, it feels newer and more modern. Yeah, I I think, um, you know, there there are, uh, there's some good, I think, in looking at what peer institutions, especially in terms of size of institution and size of social team um, mm-hmm. that that we get. You know, I, I love looking at, at the content that Nikki's team puts out and, you know, looking at teams like like Texas A&M, another great one, um, Nebraska. There are some others that do a really, really good job that, you know, I sit back and just say like, oh, I'm just glad that there are other schools out there that are prioritizing and doing good work. From my team's perspective, I try to focus in a little bit more on trying to see social through the eyes of a high school senior or a college student. What are they looking at? You know, they're on YouTube and TikTok and they're spending a lot of time there. We can take trends, we can take small pieces of the things that we see there and throw that into what we're doing. You know, it doesn't have to mean that we're on TikTok all the time, but it may be like, hey, we know what the trends are. We know what subtle language has changed, like usage of emojis and things like that, that would make us feel more relevant to that group of people. And so just being able to have that knowledge. And, you know, for me, I kind of tell our team, like, you should spend time looking at TikTok and watching YouTube. That's that's something that that I hope that that you do and find those things that are most relevant for our audiences. Um, to me, even, you know, I, I look at some of the, the bigger national, international brands and I like to take some inspiration from them. I think sometimes it's hard. Uh, it's harder more than ever now because I feel like yeah. our world has just been so messed up for a while that um, everything it's a little convoluted and, and it's just tough. It's tough to take inspiration because we're all in our own situation. Right. Um, but I think those, those personalities, those influencers, um, those people that are really popular with this age group, they are as authentic as it gets. I think that's what we have to try to push as our brand as being as authentically WVU as we can be. And so we mm-hmm. can take some inspiration from them. I love that. For me, it really boils down to right-sizing trends and innovations for for the brand. Um, you know, obviously, I'd, I'd mentioned staying in your swim lane, which is probably the most candid and just frank way that you can put something. Everybody wants to do something cool. Everybody wants to be viral. There are plenty of trends going around, and they're just not always going to be right for your brand. And you have to right-size them for your brand or just stay away from them. Don't do it. Like it just, it's not for you. Um, and so when it comes to peer institutions, I think all of us that have been in higher education long enough, we know the ones that we look to, not just for phenomenal content and strategy, but I take a, a gander to say that we have a pretty good counseling group too. <laughs> so we can all look to each other to, to see what's kind of taking place and how people are addressing issues. Um, you know, burn cycles and crisis and media and seeing each other at conferences is something that I think we kind of miss, maybe enjoying a cocktail, maybe when we see each other. Um, But all of, that's right, all of those things that I look to within my own industry is more about, I think, support and thought leadership and, you know, exploration than it is about even inspiration because Mm -hmm. Michigan and every other institution, even if we're in the same conference, we're all completely different areas. We're just in higher education. 
Yeah. But students make the decisions to go to these places for a, a multitude of different reasons. And so we need to assess our demographics. We need to see what they actually want from us and not worry about being, you know, the weird uncle at Thanksgiving that thinks right. he's cool and cracks dad jokes, right? Like that just, that doesn't adhere to our brand. And sometimes that is unfortunate. There are trends that come across. And I'm like, oof, I wish we didn't have to lead with that tone. But we have an established tone and, you know, personality for our brand. And we stay true to that. That's the U of M way. And so you have to know those things. We look to a lot of big brands, of course, as, you know, we like to say we're the number one recognized block M, that maize and blue kind of thing. I'm sure every institution maybe says that, but we also, you know, we look to things like Nike or we're looking to Apple. Um, if I saw one more video with an individual sitting with a white background behind them like four years ago, I was going to lose my mind. And so, you know, those that was a trend and people wanted to do that and thought it would be great and make them an innovator. And it didn't. It just kind of came off as cheesy. And so, you know, you got to right size that and you have to make it appropriate and you have to stay in your swim lane and you have to make those strategic decisions about what your front door communications vehicle is, is going to do. Um, and if we're going to continue to advocate for the relevancy and importance of this industry, we cannot tie ourselves to only being in the meme game or adopting the latest TikTok viral video if it doesn't actually move the needle for the goals and objectives of our, our organizations. And that has been so much more clear in the last year and a half too, right? I think there have been times where we we would have, uh, you know, over the, the pandemic time, we have seen a trend and we would have loved to take advantage of it. But then we sit down and we have the conversation. We say, we can't do that right now. You know, the tone and tenor of our campus does not allow for us to, to talk in that way. And it would just feel so off from everything else. And that's okay because you're sticking to what you're, you, you understand your brand, you understand your audience and the platform. And it's okay to say like, yeah, not right now. We're going to pass on this one. Yeah. And I'm really excited that you both brought up tone and personality in social because I think that's often forgotten as part of the brand social altogether. And then social or tone and personality on social is also an extension of your brand. And so if you sound like markedly different on social than you do everywhere else, people are going to start to question uh, the validity and the strength of the brand. And I'm so glad that you both um, brought that up. The last question uh, that came to mind as you were speaking, obviously, a lot of people think uh, that social media is only for the young set, but with 40% of the higher ed population coming from adult learners, being adult learners, you know, over 25, taking care of people, have different needs in their lives. How do you use social media to to reach out to those folks who might not be part of the you know social media uh, expected uh, crowd? Well, my 10,000 plus strong parents group would really have something to say about that. And they are far more vocal than our students on a daily basis. You know, this is where it becomes really important to understand the various platforms, the communities that you create and the demographics that reside there. And then this plays even further into the content that you're creating for each of those individual, you know, platforms, right? The questions that you're asking, the the cadence or the timing and the release of your information. You know, we get stuff out on Twitter faster than the email gets delivered to your inbox sometimes. And people are like, wait, I, I have to go to Twitter to learn this? Well, no, you just give us a second. It's going to go everywhere, but it might come at different times and it's going to come certainly in, in different ways. It might be a video in one space. It might be an Instagram story in another. And from a, a director level role, right? Tony and I are likely the ones I know I am that's saying, let's put this here and let's make sure that this is getting aligned here because our team is focused on creating great content that will be optimized for those spaces. But it's up to us to really help on behalf of the brand, those things be the most impactful that they can be. Um, so that's, that's kind of how we approach it. Yeah, and Nikki was when you talked about the the parent piece, that one um, spoke so much to me. <laughs> you know, we we made a really conscious effort in March 2020 to focus in on parents when we started to communicate about COVID, because we knew that they were probably the most concerned and nervous and 
probably felt like they were out of touch. And so we focused on that. A lot of our Facebook content around COVID is with a parent in mind of, of a student. And um, they are by no means um, happy, <laughs> but I think they are, are happier and they feel more clued into the university and the decisions that are being made because we've kept up that that focus. Yeah. And we've got a parents group as well. We've added moderators to that group because we've had to. The number of questions and conversations that have started on that group um, just exploded um, and continue to, to move in that direction. I don't think it will ever slow down. And that's okay because again, like we are doing our job as uh, a customer service arm of the university. We are making them feel more invested, like they are getting value for the money that they're paying to, to come to have their student come here. And so I think it's just understanding the audiences and what is expected of, of us as social media managers and of institutions in speaking to them. And then, you know, in Nikki and I's role, I think it's, uh, it's important for us to show how, social connects the dots between the messages that are coming out from an institution and those audiences. And that, yeah, social, especially over the last year and a half, is one of, if not the most important places to do that. And probably will be for a long, long, long time because of everything that we've learned and, and moved over the last 18 months or so. Yeah, between the uh, 1st of August and the end of December in 2020, we put out 1,500 pieces of content strictly around COVID. Like that is that is one of your primary vehicles, right? right? In addition to all of the other outreach mechanisms. And some of those were faculty experts talking about concerns that were happening as variants were emerging. Some right. of it was us changing, right? We had to send students home midway through a semester. All of those things directionally were going either into our, our parents' communities to alleviate their concerns or give them, you know, directional assistance. They were resources, uh, quarantine housing that were going out to our student communities. There were town and gown conversations to help alleviate concerns of our community members about what was taking place on campus. You know, that all is happening through social media. And, and so it's really important that all of those things are being created to be impactful to all of those different demographics and that we are championing that it's not just, you know, some students that are hanging out on social media. Yeah, and, and I think the, the reality, too, is that, you know, our social teams at institutions are speaking to more people on a daily basis on average than anybody else. And so when we talk about building a brand, we are the day-to-day -day conversationalists of the university. And the way that we speak and interact with people is the expectation. And I love that. I love that from our from from our side of things. We have the team to be able to do it right, and to have empathy in our responses and care for for those people. Um, I think that makes us better when it comes to, you know, setting a precedent for whenever somebody calls, a parent calls our our parent line. They know because they've seen the way that we responded on social publicly maybe how to respond in, a, in the same empathetic way. And so I think we're building that side of the brand every single day. That's a great thing. I love that, that about social. Mm, mm -mm. Nikki and Tony, thank you so much for your time today. Is there anything that you want to mention that I didn't ask about? I'll add one thing just for okay. everybody that's, that's kind of listening in. Um, take care of yourselves. I think there has never been a more important time to think deeply. Um, I know it's different across the nation as far as like we're not back in the office yet. I came in today, of course, but we're going to begin transitioning our teams into more of a hybrid model in the coming month. Um, in other areas across the nation, they've already been back in the office. But if there's anything we should walk away with it's that it's as important to take care of ourselves as it is the communities that we're creating content for and so i would encourage anyone to use that time off to unplug and disconnect and to make conscientious decisions that will put you on a path towards you know professional and personal success mm. yeah and, and i think i would add you know value yourself and your expertise there is going to come a time whenever we are out of the pandemic, I mean, hopefully, um, where institutions will have more money, 
they will have more opportunities to spend time thinking about the future. And in those moments, we need to make sure that all social media managers are taken care of. But I think the first step of that is that everyone out there who's listening, who does this on a day-to-day basis, knows that you are doing a really, really good job in a situation that probably isn't optimal for you to succeed. And so when it comes down to advocating for yourself and your role and your future, do it with confidence. I I think that is, it's so important because I think so many social media managers are beaten down with the day-to-day workload. And you may, because of all of the hate that we get every single day, you may have lost confidence in your work and you haven't been able to be as creative as you want it to be. Don't forget that this part of the job has been hard. You've done a really good job. And when it comes to that conversation, go in there, sell yourself, prove to them you deserve more. And hopefully institutions are ready at that time to give you what you deserve. And if not, get out of there. <laughs> Y'all bringing the heat today. Listen. <laughs> We, we double as inspirational and motivational speakers yeah. in our, our side gig. So. Yes, you do. I'm going to need to have a session with each of you. <laughs> I have this couch in my office. I really missed, actually. Like, Therapy like, session. We don't just speak to minds here. We speak to hearts, too, huh, Tony? That's exactly. That's great. Listen, I love it. This concludes our very first Blue and Gold episode of Higher Voltage. Thank you, Tony Dopies. Thank you, Nikki Sundstrom your time today. I really appreciate it. Uh, We will have uh, Nikki's thematic calendar on our website. Uh, We will also uh, see if Tony can send over his thematic bucket document for use. Uh, We're all in this together. Uh, Might as well share tools that help us all. So thank you again. Uh, Until next time. Thank you. uh, Appreciate your time today. That's it for this week's episode of Higher Voltage. We'll be back soon with a new episode. And until then, you can find us on Twitter at Volt Higher Ed. And you can find me, Kevin Tyler, on Twitter at Kevin C. Tyler 2.